You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. As uh, was noted in the prayers already, uh, I am not the real thing. I am Plan B. I am where um, I learned to be while I played baseball for one year at Concordia College in Austin, Texas, on the bench. Uh, It is my joy to come off the bench to uh, provide Pastor John some respite and some focus on other ministry opportunities. And from there, I see we have Mrs. Roth with us from the holy city of Frankenmuth. Doing that, that's great, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, in Israel, it's Jerusalem. In Michigan, it's Frankenmuth. So we've been, I'm glad you're here because we've been having some issues with John that I think his mother is the only one who can solve. So, so thank you for being here. We'll talk later. Uh, chewing gum in church. I don't know what to do about it. No, no, no. So... We're looking at the prophet Isaiah during this time. It's going to be a fairly different and lengthy introduction to this. Um, Because I want to set the tone and give you some background on my understanding of the text. Um, One of the things that I've noticed in ministry is that many of you may may or may not know that I served uh, 38 years in the ministry, and seven of those were as a consultant and vice president for an organization called Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And what I did for them was travel the country and um, ask two questions. What are you trying to accomplish? And how are you going to fund it? And why I loved asking those, because I would normally get kind of a... deer in the headlights kind of freeze. And I could see pastors and church councils and people searching for the right answer. What answer does he want? What do he need to give? And we would then begin with a process of doing it. I'd ask that same question to you. I'm not talking to church council. What do you want from life? And how are you going to get it? Let me deepen the question. What does God want for your life? And how is he going to give it to you? There's an issue that I have found pretty regularly in ministry, and that is that <clears throat> mission is born. I'll explain this. I'll kind of give you the principle and explain it, kind of expand it out. A mission is born, but what happens over time is the institutional support of that mission becomes more important than the mission itself. Slowly but surely, we kind of take our eyes off the ball about what's most important and take a look at what's ancillary, what was supportive of the ministry. For example, let me just show you an obvious example. What, on Christmas Eve, what you and I are looking for is a worship service, or perhaps are looking for, with candles, singing Silent Night, with the wonderful smell and aromas of gingerbread cookies, and delightful opportunities to eat in our, in our family uh, sausage balls. And it's a beautiful thing because on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, they are calorie free. <laughs> and so we have a whole anticipation of how Christmas Eve will be 
almost romantic, almost hallmark. Are you with me? <laughs> Where it's just kind of like delightful, you, you know, and you look for how many times you say the word cocoa, uh, because that's relative to hallmark movies and romantic ideas and to look for cocoa. And, and I get it. I mean, I'm not, I don't begrudge that. I was moved to tears many times while I was leading worship as a pastor to light the candles and sing Silent Night. And, and when I was pastoring and leading a congregation, I would sing it a little softer every verse. And man, it was hard to sing the third verse. It just resonated just above a whisper. The congregation sang and held lights. It was gorgeous. But it had nothing to do with the original birth. I had overstated. It had something to do with the original birth. We were celebrating Jesus' birth, but stay with me now. How might this have been more real? How might it be refocused to actually lift up the message of what God had done by bringing a son into the middle of earth? So perhaps, and, and I'm, I'm, I'll recommend this to John, and the council here, but I'm not sure it's going to receive full acceptance. Instead of the aromas of beautiful candlelight and gingerbread cookies, what if we spread manure around? You with me? And uh, you walked in, and there was manure and hay spread over the top of the manure, and you went, ah, Christmas Eve. <laughs> Now, the example is goofy, silly, and pressing the point, but you get it. That's what happens. Now, I don't want to begrudge, because I'm going to enjoy on Christmas Eve with our kids and grandkids, which are coming to our house. It's actually going to be 18 of us together, so it's no more like coming to our house. It's like flooding our home. And I'm going to enjoy all the candlelight moments and all the regular traditions. And I, I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying, here's what happens, is that there's a subtlety. We take our eye off the ball. I take my eye off the ball from God entering a barn. And there was no special moonlight that flickered through the straw roof and shone on Mary. There was no angel singing, silent night. It was a barn. It was manure smell. There was cows chewing their cud. And in the midst of that, I may not be able to preach there again. In the midst of that crap, huh, <laughs> the Son of God is born. Feel how incredible that is? Because there's nothing romantic about it. There's something uniquely, immensely, and intensely powerful about it. I can't help but wonder whether when Mary and Joseph gave birth to Jesus that they went, oh. Mary would go, I know he's the son of God, but he looks pretty human. And I was there during that time when our kids were born, and I got to admit, oh, it's not pretty in any sense of the word. 
it's miraculous, it's powerful, it's wonderful, it's loving. And Mary Louise is heroic and has won my respect for all of her life. But it's not pretty. What happens over time is that we take our eye off the mission and onto the things which support the mission, which are ancillary to the mission. One more example to the, kind of drive home the point. You can tell when this is happening because what starts to happen is relationships start to break down. So here's, here's the birth of Christ, which is designed to build relationships between God and man and between us and one another. But our practices, our traditions, our histories, the things that we get wrapped up in, that I get wrapped up in, become more critical, and now we're arguing over them. I'll, I'll try to be as vague as I can. Um, there's a church I was serving previously, and it's always fascinating, right? It's always fascinating to move to a Wednesday night service because we had, at that time, uh, three or four services going on on Sunday morning, so on a midweek service, it's a completely different mix. <laughs> so my point is, you couldn't anticipate your pew would be available. Because when you got there on Wednesday, somebody could be sitting in your pew. And this is the true story. I came out to the sanctuary, and there's a family standing there like this, waiting for the family sitting in their pew to And they refused. <laughs> huh. You get my point? So there, we're there in the Advent season trying to prepare for the enormous and powerful work of Jesus Christ to reestablish relationship with God and with one another. And there's tension and conflict over our histories, traditions, patterns. We've taken our eye off the ball, and the institution to support the mission has taken over the importance of the mission. If that was so critical, and I'm exaggerating to make a point, if, it were, or if we wanted to get back to it, we'd pump manure smell in and say, this is to what God came. And metaphorically, to come in the middle of mine. That's where I'm going. So you can tell when it starts to break down. And I think that's what the prophet Isaiah is after in chapter 11. We'll get to that in a second. But when you feel, sense, watch, or observe the breakdown of relationships when they're supposed to be enhancing them and celebrating them, then we're, we're not. Let me show you what I mean there. Let's see if this goes on. From the tangled mess of our broken relationships. That's really what we're talking about. And the we're talking about the Christmas lights that are all tangled up. It's kind of the working metaphor for the month of December. The prophet Isaiah is going to switch us on that, and we're going to switch metaphors, not from tangled Christmas lights, because Isaiah's Christmas lights were never tangled. Um, he always had them neat in order because they didn't exist. <laughs> but forests and trees did exist. And life and greenery was a working metaphor, and I'll show you. So here's some health factors. You can tell that our focus is off of Christmas from the National Institute of Mental Health. This is their data. 64% of people with mental illness report holidays make their conditions worse. So here's now, we'll start driving home my point with some statistics. 
So people who are struggling and suffering, for whom Christ came to enter their world, to be a part of their lives, are hurting more around this time of season. Something's off. The holiday season beams a spotlight on everything that is difficult about living with depression, says a Massachusetts woman who responded to the survey. The pressure to be joyful and social is tenfold. Can you feel that? Even if you're not struggling against mental illness, there's a pressure to be social. By the way, speaking of that, I forgot to mention earlier that uh, John asked me to add an addendum to the messages. That's if you come tonight and you're part of the celebration at his house and the fellowship of the saints that are there, and you're nervous about going caroling, you don't have to carol. I would offer, and he didn't say this, but you could go along and lip sync. <laughs> That's just my thoughts. Don't tell John I said that. 68% are financially strained. There's no surprise there. 66% experience loneliness. And again, now you can see that our focus is off of the mission and off of the focus of the nature and the living of Christ who unifies and brings to us the company of the saints and the grandness of the angels and the eternity that is ours. And instead it's, no, I'm experiencing loneliness. Something's off. Something, something's not right. 55% found themselves remembering happier times. Isn't it something, too? It's, it's a whole nother phenomena where the Christmas Eves that we remember are somehow more delightful than the ones that are present, which is kind of a way of whitewashing them oftentimes. I don't know. So health factors tell us that somehow we're experiencing issues in our lives which are counter-indicative of why Christ came. And this I got from the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. I'm also trained as a marriage and family therapist called AAMFT. What are the key relationship issues is what I googled. Grudges and rehashing past issues. And again, you can see there, right? Because you know that as families gather and come together, you go, okay, where's Uncle Joe going to sit? Right? We can't put them next to Aunt Ethel because Aunt Ethel and Cousin Joe always fight over the stuffing. And we start elevating and raising the issues which are problematic to the things that are going on in the old relationships. Because we know that Uncle Joe and Aunt Ethel haven't spoken for about the last nine months, but they're coming to Christmas dinner. What do we do? How do we handle it? Hmm. The relationships which are meant to designed to be whole and brought together by the Christ are now disintegrating over the same event. Disagreements with child-rearing practices. Isn't it always interesting that we kind of have to watch? Well, we did that too, right? We did all this negotiating between what Christmas Eve was like for Mary Louise growing up and Christmas Eve was like for me. But we always got to open presents on well, one present on Christmas Eve. But well, we did all of our opening presents on Christmas Eve. Then we resolved that one by having lots of Christmas Eve services, and so she won. So, you know. But the point is, is a negotiation. How many of those are going on on a regular basis? It was interesting to watch each of, each of our kids that are, are, have married, and then the traditions we've given them, they've got to go negotiate those. Hmm. Disagreements are child-rearing practices. Pressure from family to shape up spiritually. 
This is what the AAMFT said. Isn't that interesting? And that this comes along with some of that like, hmm, why don't you go to church more often? I know a mom at a church I previously served who had a deal with her kids about how often they would come to church. And she would often use this, why don't you shape up? Now, there's some motive to go to church. <laughs> Again, let's watch the relationship thing. What's going on is that the very element that Christ has given to us to bring us together is now tearing us apart. His emphasis that the institution is now at play and the mission has been lost. <coughs> Conflicts or visitation of family. Kind of touched on that already. Money. Oh, yeah. Money, how much you spend on that stuff. We're watching that too, right? And just kind of feeling that. We're grocery shopping for everybody coming in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sam's, when we walk in the door, now gives us a garland and says, escort these people wherever they want to go. <laughs> Lots of money. Old family childhood stories told ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> This one cracked me up because I'm not, I would have put this down there, but I wouldn't have guessed the AMFT would have put this down there. But apparently, it's driving lots of people crazy. <laughs> I know it. I've got. Should I tell that one, Mary Louise, or not? Yes. No, she just she shakes her head, goes, "Oh, go ahead, you abuse me again." <laughs> so, I was bringing home my girlfriend from Concordia College in Austin, Texas. And that's a long way to Chicago, and we come to Chicago, so the whole, my whole family's nervous. My girlfriend happens to be my current wife of 45 years. And uh, we show up there, the family's all kind of nervous, and there's uh, sitting around the table, <clears throat> and Mary Louise reaches for the uh, salad dressing to put on her salad, and uh, doesn't know that the cap is only sitting on top. It's not screwed down. Yeah. So what do you do with salad dressing when you pick it up? You shake it. <laughs> so now this is a part of Thrive history, <laughs> as well as our family. She shakes that stuff <laughs> over the wall, over my sisters. <laughs> And it was like, <laughs> to just absolutely uproaring laughter. Guess what story gets told <laughs> at least two or three times yearly. It's like with freshness, like we don't remember. Somebody will go, do you remember? <laughs> and you can't see, and I'm not going to look at it right now, but the look that Mary Louise has been giving me the last 30 seconds um, it was kind of present. The point of that is that's kind of part of it, right? It's like we're almost stuck in our histories rather than looking forward to the journeys that are ahead. Told old stories, and look at that. And interfering grandparents and elder generation. Uh, I'm sure this one is incorrect. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea how this uh, came on there and would challenge AMFT um, to say, get your data straight and you did some poor research on this one. So this, of course, is not true. But you guys know what I'm talking about. 
Both these slides and the long introduction are all meant to say, to focus on this central truth. Here's the Son of God entering a barn, the lowest place in the Y, to make sure that we could be reconnected to God and to one another. And we take that and we add all this other circuitry to it and then debate over that and break up the very relationships that God came to establish through his son being born in a barn. Isn't that odd? Such is the nature of our nature. Such is the nature of my nature. I'm with you. I'm looking forward to that silent night, and I want all of them lined up for the hallmark moment, and we're going to take a picture and do that. But thanks be to God for the prophet Isaiah who says, ah, there's more, Carl. Don't celebrate the amenities. Celebrate the gift. There shall come forth a shoot from Isaiah 11, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What will happen? The wolf shall, lie, shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion, excuse me, and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire and a resting place shall be glorious. Instead of all those animals lying together, which was the metaphor that Isaiah was trying to give us for some sense of harmony, perhaps the prophet Isaiah today would say, and married couples, and Uncle Joe and Aunt Ethel will sit next to one another. And families will once again be restored to health and wholeness, and forgiveness will be practiced. And true joy and love will be discovered around day tables and dinners. And people will recognize there's something far greater and grander than a candlelight service. And it's me. This is the working metaphor in Isaiah's mind. A beautiful walk, a beautiful path, and beautiful trees and greenery and lives. And this is rather what the prophet Isaiah has come across, this. I think it's too sad to say that all of my illustrations, although perhaps slightly humorous, this is more reflective of what my soul looks like. 
because I have taken my eye off of the ball. I have focused on the institutional, on the ancillary, on the traditions and the histories instead of the gift and the miracle. There were no lights. There was no sharp moon. There was no phenomenal music playing when Jesus was born. He came in the middle of this to change everything. The whole earth will be full of its glory, Isaiah says. If it looks like this now, the question is, how can it be full of his glory? So the rest of the message is meant to say, how does this forest, the forest of my soul, cut down, broken, starving, and dry, become full of the green and the love and the lushness of the gospel? Let's go backwards. He said, well, what's going to happen is the lamb will lie down with the lion. I don't think he means that literally. By the way, I didn't notice this until I put that slide up there. Does it look to you like this lion has a mustache? It's the oddest thing. I thought, oh, well, we'll go with that. So, so I, I don't think this is necessarily the, the image in mind. Once again, I think he's trying to use what people would understand to give the metaphor that when Christ comes, that which, which seems to be unnatural will be automatic. And lions and lambs would lie together. Modern day world might look like this, the coexist movement. Perhaps you're familiar with that. You've seen the bumper stickers or those kind of things. I found this one. This is kind of interesting. It contains Islam, Buddhism, science, which has always caused me some consternation when science is included. As, as though, as a conservative believing Christian, I don't believe in science. I was like, what? I don't, I mean, I do. I, I don't believe in science. I look for science to give me information. I don't know. Anyway, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan, and Christian right there at the very end. Now, now, do I believe and trust that each of these people, no matter what category or religion they identify with, deserve the rights and privileges of living in the United States as citizens? Yeah. I, believe in the separation of church and state, and, and they pay taxes and are law-abiding citizens, then, of course, then I owe them the respect of being a U.S. citizen. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somehow that we become co-equal. Somehow, oh, you know, it's all the same message leading to the same place. I have to lovingly say, uh-uh. So this isn't the message either. My son Dave, a long time ago, went to Valpo University and was going to take a world religions course. And he kind of came at me with a bit of a challenge to it. He said, Dad, I'm, taking, I'm going to study all the world religions in this course. And he showed me the text. And I said, excellent. He wasn't quite surprised. He was well, kind of anticipating that I would kind of go, easy does it, son. But no, no, study them. Read about them. Learn. Inwardly digest. I said, but I'm going to give you the spoiler. Is that okay? What's the spoiler, Dad? Everyone, except Christianity, will tell you how to get from A to B. Sometimes you've got to make sacrifices. Sometimes you've got to live it up. Sometimes you've got to do it. But you've got to get that right. You've got to find out 
where you're at, and then you got to muscle, figure, mysticize, mysticize, concentrate, focus. You got to find a way to get to B. And when you get to B, in some you start over, <laughs> in others you get there. Only the message of the gospel. That's a challenge, man. Just look it up, research it, Google it. Da, da. Only the gospel says you can't get from A to B. You, 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 you. So I'm going to come get you. And there's a cost to coming to get you. And rather than ask you to pay that cost, I'm going to ask my son to pay that cost. And he's going to have to go to hell to do it. But you're worth it. See, so we have to find a way to say, look, I, I'm called on to love every other symbol in there and understand they can be U.S. citizens. Uh, yeah. But the message is completely different. This is not the message of Isaiah. The gospel stands out. Test me on this and see. No other theology, ideology, philosophy, religion on the planet has the gospel. We are the only ones to whom it has been given. Now, Isaiah is really talking about natural enemies living harmoniously. And that's kind of where we're going with this, is that he's saying that those people who have natural enemies, those folks for whom you have a natural inclination to turn away from, those people who are sitting in your pew, <laughs> those people who disgust you, those people who you would never want your kids to meet, those people for whom you have formed a prejudice, those people, those people, that's who the gospel brings together. And if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, you'll see that who's standing before the throne. Every tribe, nation, race, and ethnicity under heaven is together. Christ joins us all together under that gospel message. You can't get from A to B, so I've come to get you, to bring you to B with me. So Isaiah's talking about natural enemies living together. How does that ever happen? So Isaiah tells us, well, okay, someone will be sent that has God's priorities and perspective. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And here's the issue. The nature of original sin. Here's my, my understanding of our original sin. Original sin sounds like, well, I didn't make that sin, so why am I being held responsible for it? And I, I get that. Nobody wants to be blamed for somebody else's stuff. So the problem with original sin is just that. I can't escape my own perspective. And again, if you are standing on a corner, there's a fender bender in the middle of the intersection, and the police officer interviews everybody who was watching from the four corners of that intersection, and four people are interviewed at the fender bender, how many opinions will you get of what happened? Yeah. 
Okay, my point is the same. And that's a simple example. The, our perspective, I can't escape my perspective, my history, my perceptions, my eyesights, my... It's a whole study called phenomenology, where the study of phenomena, how I interpret it, it's a whole other kind of existential psychology thing, yada, yada. But it, my point is that I can't escape that. And here's the problem. The Lord says to me, Carl, it's going to kill you. Because your perceptions can't see what I can see. Can't go where I can go. Can't do what I can do. So he's going to have, this person who's going to be sent will have God's priority and perspective. He will act in the fear of the Lord. Now, you just can't muster that. You can't say, I'm going to think like God. That's the nature of Bible study. That's the nature of prayer. That's the nature of thy will be done. That phrase that we say in the Lord's Prayer that we quickly skip on through, thy will be done. But it's packed with all kind of power. It means I'm going to step outside of mine and go. How uncomfortable does it make you if I ask you to say right now, whatever you want, Lord, wherever you want it, however you want it to happen. I'm ready. The most likelihood is all of us would go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> give me a chance. So who's going to be sent is going to be, have God's priorities and perspective. He will judge by the heart of the matter. With righteousness he will judge. With justice he will make decisions. Judge by the heart. He has the power and authority to slay the wicked. Yep, there are wicked that need slaying. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With him there commences a new epic from Kyle Dalich, and his perfect righteousness acquires a world-subduing force. Bam. He can make it happen. He has the power and the authority to destroy that which wants to destroy us. Where does he get such power and authority? Even Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, will rest on him. We practice baptism in this congregation. Baptism is so that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on you and rest on me. Because I can't see straight from my own perspective. All I can see is Carl's perspective. So I need a new perspective placed within me, a new spirit given to me that will give me God's perspective and priorities, the Spirit of the Lord, so that I can't see beyond my perspective, but God can use my eyes to allow his perspective to be seen through me. Yep, this is what the Son of God was faced with. Tangled Christmas lights has been our theme through the prophet Isaiah. Broken down and dried up, destroyed forest is Isaiah's kind of imagery in the background. But here's the good news. You know who that is? That's Jesus. It is. And a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. That's Jesus. Jesus comes to my broken life, my ill-gotten perspectives, and plants himself right in the middle of it. 
He doesn't stand off to the side and say, oh, Carl, you've got to fix that. That just is awful. He jumps into my dirt, my prejudices, my ugliness, my sinfulness, my brokenness. He gets right in there and he becomes it. I don't even know how this happens. 2 Corinthians 6. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. Wow. So he says, I'm going to plant myself, Carl, right in the middle of your ugliness. <laughs> right in the middle of everything that's going to kill you. And I'm going to let it kill me. I am going to grow inside of you. That's the message of Isaiah. That's the message that we're looking forward to on Christmas Eve celebrating. Even if Thrive doesn't take my suggestion and spread manure around, <laughs> there's going to be a deeper aroma, and that aroma is that of the Christ who says, come on, I know you, and I'm going to get into your ugliness, plant myself there, become your ugliness so that it's taken away, and you are once again just coming back to the way I designed you. Be beautiful, righteous. Ready for this word? Perfect. What do you look like perfect? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I look forward to seeing you there. Perfect. Because we'll walk together, no matter what histories, no matter what diseases, no matter what issues, we'll walk together and he will transfer, translate, transpose, transform that broken down, beaten down, ugly forest into a beautiful walk to his throne. That's what Isaiah is saying. That's what Isaiah is calling us to focus on. Not all the ancillary. Go today and enjoy the fellowship. If you don't want to sing, don't sing. In fact, I've heard some of you better not. <laughs> My point, be who God has called you to be as his spirit fills you and changes you and stay focused on a Christ. Born in a barn, the smell of manure, so we wouldn't have to. Oh, I like that. From the tangled mess of our broken relationships to thriving in community, which is what we're about. That's what Thrive is here. To thrive in community, to build relationships that Christ has restored, become true community. It's simple, and it's impossible <laughs> if it weren't for the Christ in this day, in Jesus' name. Amen.